0: Hi, Mary. So question, when do you think is the earliest time it's socially acceptable to have mince pies in the year?
1: Oh, I don't think we're close enough to Christmas yet, Dan. Don't tell me you've had one.
0: Well, this is the thing. So I was offered one at the weekend and I reacted a little bit surprised and then everyone looked at me like I was crazy for being surprised. So I don't know if I'm the idiot or if everyone else is Hmm. being weird. It's it's strange.
1: So they all thought it was perfectly normal
0: to have mince pies. Have they had mince pies all year round or this was their first... Someone was saying that they had them earlier or whatever. And I love them. It's pie. I'm not to them to spies. They're great. It's just, I don't know, they're Christmas, right? And it's like we're barely into the fourth quarter here.
1: This is true. This is true. Although I have to say, I every year have a no Christmas before Halloween rule.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Actually, I love simple rules like that. I'm a big fan of simple rules.
1: And it still gives you a good month and a half to think about Christmas. That's enough of a ramp up in my view. But having said that... I've actually started planning Christmas already, which I'm breaking my own rule. So something's clearly different this year. And I think probably for me, it's because Christmas got cancelled last year. So yeah, we were supposed to host up to 12 people last year, and it ended up being three of us on Christmas Day. We're back to plan A from 2020 for 2021 Christmas, which means we're hosting 12 people. So yeah, I'm starting to plan it already. I'm very excited.
0: Uh, Because that was just after you'd moved into a new house, wasn't it, last year? So maybe you'd be slightly better set up this year for a a whole year of prepping.
1: (laughs) have to say helpful that we do have a dining table (laughs) we were going to be makeshifting something but looking forward to it and maybe just maybe given I've already started planning Christmas you're let off eating mince pies
0: and Christmas drinks lunches dinners and stuff presumably they've started starting in the diary haven't they I mean they it's almost like this starts happening when you get back from the summer really these days isn't it
1: I think that's right and I think well I suppose you kind of have to when you're booking venues and stuff because they get booked up again I think people are going mad for Christmas this year I don't think there's anything wrong with that. but So you've got a few in the diary, have you?
0: I've got a lunch and two dinners, but they're all on the same day.
1: <laughs> oh, no. So you're having three turkeys that day?
0: I think that's my like dream. I dream Christmas is to actually have three. <laughs> I love a nice Christmas dinner, so why not? I mean, I can try and split my evening between the two dinners and do the lunch as well. I mean, sounds like it could be great, yeah?
1: <laughs> nice. I've actually already got a clash for my work Christmas party as well, so... It's tricky. It's tricky to fit it all in. That's why Christmas has to start now, I suppose. Spread it out and make all the dates. Welcome to Investment Uncut.
0: In Investment Uncut, we cut through the noise when it comes to investing. We're digging deeper to try and bring clarity to your investment decisions. I'm Dan Mikulskis.
1: And I'm Mary Spencer. Investment Uncut is brought to you by the investment team at LCP. LCP provide investment advice to some of the largest institutional investors in the UK, including pension funds, wealth managers, and sovereign funds. Find out more at lcp.uk.com.
0: Hi, everyone. This week on Investment Uncut, we're talking to someone who spends a lot of time thinking about how to better engage people, especially young people, with investments. And that's Becky O'Connor, Head of Pensions and Savings at Interactive Investor. Becky, welcome.
1: Hi, Dan. Thanks for having me. Hi, Becky. Welcome to the show. Before we kick off, could you give us a sense of your role at Interactive Investor and and perhaps a very brief description of Interactive Investor itself?
2: So Interactive Investor is the second biggest do-it-yourself investment platform in the UK, offering ISAs, trading accounts and self-invested personal pensions. And my role as Head of Pensions and Savings is to communicate the pension story to a wider audience, so it involves an awful lot of media commentary on pensions issues, which is a surprising amount of <laughs>
1: stuff
2: to go at, but also content on the website. So it has a free to use research and knowledge centre. And that's where people can find out more about pensions, but also other things. So I do a mind and money podcast about behavioral finance, a slow money podcast about ESG and various blogs and guides and reports and things. So I'm kept
1: very busy. (laughs)
0: i I can imagine i can imagine yeah no shortage of stuff to talk about there And you've got the whole of pensions and investments to go at. i mean where do you start i suppose could be one question (laughs) before we get into all of that becky why don't you tell us one thing we ought to know about you that we wouldn't find on your cv
2: well i'm actually incredibly boring because i work too much but i've been learning a lot about rabbits lately because we acquired two rabbits for my son's seventh birthday and i think i might be in danger of loving them more than he does (laughs) (laughs) so rabbit care you can ask me anything about rabbit care and I'll probably know the answer now because I've spent the last few weeks researching how to make them happy.
0: Gosh,
1: that's a bit of pressure on us, isn't
2: it,
0: to think of a good question <laughs> on rabbit care. <laughs> what do you feed them? Is it a myth they like carrots or is that really true?
2: It's actually they don't like carrots. These two don't anyway. They love kale. Kale is like
0: Oh my god, oh, okay. wash, wash rabbits.
2: <laughs> so yeah, we keep them happy with kale basically and a few little chew toys and lots of love obviously.
1: Of course. Wow. Are they going to be outdoor rabbits? I appreciate the weather's getting a bit colder, but is that the plan?
2: Well, we like to give them a mix of environments. So they spend some time outdoors, some time in their hutch in the shed, and some time in a room in the house, actually, which was meant to be a study for my husband, but is rapidly becoming the rabbit room.
1: <laughs> Brilliant. And the classic story of parents agree to get a rabbit for the child <laughs> or a- an animal, I should <laughs> say, for the child, and then it dominates everything in life. I think is probably familiar to many listeners, <laughs> and that's
2: exactly what has happened. Very quickly, it only took a couple of weeks. Yeah,
0: <laughs> brilliant. Pivoting slightly, then from the discussion of <laughs> <at> rabbits <laughs> to, <laughs> onto investing, but Becky, I guess, just trying to put this in a wider context. I mean, I suppose, yeah, you know, stepping right back, I guess, in the UK. Post the switch to things like auto enrollment, post pensions freedoms, I guess we're sort of still, you might argue, at the early stages of a shift to more of an individual focused, individual centric investment culture. How do you see that planning out? Do you think individuals have more of an investor mindset these days compared to the past?
2: I think we're starting to see that, but I think we'd be kidding ourselves if we thought we were in any way over the hill with that particular journey. So I think you're right to points to when pension freedoms were introduced, and obviously the switch from DB to DC, which is very gradual, very long term, and as a result of auto enrolment, but also as a result of I think general kind of investment trends in the last couple of years such as increased focus on sustainable investing but also younger people being able to dabble for the first time in investments and that is starting to translate over into their pensions and with greater engagement from providers as well as this sense of urgency and need to look after yourself in retirement that may be slow dawning for some people but then for others it's that moment of oh my goodness I need to take charge of this lots of factors coming together, all of those factors coming together to increase engagement and awareness and hopefully contributions as well. But it does rely on light bulb moments for individuals and obviously not everybody's thinking about their pension all the time.
1: Light bulb moment is such a beautiful way of describing it. Can you maybe give the listeners examples of light bulb moments that you've come across with people that you work with?
2: There's definitely age related light bulb moments. So I turned 40 this year, as did many of my friends and There were genuine non-forced conversations where they, not just because of my job, because I don't even think half of my friends know what I do for a living, but (laughs) we just started talking about pensions. And I've got many GP friends who hadn't been contributing to their doctor's pensions and lots of self-employed mum friends who went freelance when they had their kids and hadn't paid in for years. At 40, these conversations seem to naturally arise. It's like a moment where people look back and think about the future and think, what have I got to do that I haven't been doing? And one of those things is usually pensions. I mean, clearly 50 is an age where people really start to think about it, almost unavoidably. But I think it does happen earlier as well. But I think before kids, before home buying, probably not so much. It's a sort of dim awareness, slight form of anxiety in the background but I think yeah so age and probably 40 is the start of that maybe younger if you're really switched on but also it's the growth in interest in sustainable living in general and awareness campaigns around pensions being investments and the power of pensions and the ability to switch to sustainable funds within your workplace pension has also had a very powerful effect, I think, and meant that younger people, not just younger people, older people too, are interested in this. But it's meant that younger people who perhaps wouldn't be interested in their pension until a bit older have been interested in it for other reasons. And there may be something also in job switching. So when somebody changes a job, then they are, as they do more frequently now at younger ages, that's one thing that came out of the Great British Retirement Survey that we launched last week was the likelihood of having many jobs and many pension pots doesn't really change with age. There'll be people in their early 30s who are as likely to have four or more pension pots as somebody in their late 50s. And that's perhaps a measure of this increased frequency of changing jobs but each time you change a job it's another opportunity to engage with another pension think about your contributions and of course a lot depends not on you personally but on what's being communicated to you via various means.
0: That's so fascinating I'm really with you on the age-related point Becky I also turned 40 this year actually happy birthday for that by the way (laughs) I've had the same conversations I've reflected a lot on how I do think 40 is quite a fulcrum kind of moment for pensions. Cause I think it's still early enough that if you are behind, you still got time to get things in order. Whereas you're also starting to see some real differences opening up between people. Like you say, you've got people who have been in the maybe in the public sector, got really good D B, other people who might be freelancing and have let things slip a little bit on that. So I feel the industry could do a lot more with targeting really specific age-related advice at people turning 40. and It'd be really interesting to see more of that.
2: Absolutely. And then we can perhaps get away from this idea that pensions is something for older people, which is part of the struggle with the word, isn't it? You think pension, you think old. But if we can start communicating better, more targeted and in more relevant ways, younger, it's not going to do anyone a disservice, is it? So, I mean, 40, because people are naturally thinking about it then, but maybe sort of once it so when people move jobs is an obvious point but also once a decade almost some kind of pack wake up pack or think about this set of comms which is a bit more targeted could be good.
1: Becky you mentioned the Great British Retirement Survey and I know you launched it last week and it kept you extremely busy. I wondered if as well as the stat that you just gave us you could give us a kind of quick overview of some of the key outcomes that came through from the survey.
2: There was more than 10,000 respondents to the survey over a period of months. We were asking people questions between March and July. There were more than 100 questions, so it was quite in-depth. It was asking quite a lot of people. But what we were surprised at, first off, is just how involved people get when they start answering the questions and some of the comments. I mean, almost everybody left comments. They weren't just ticking the boxes, so they had a lot to say. And a lot of the insight actually came from the quotes rather than the figures and the percents who answered this or that. It was the quotes that gave the real insight. So we found that the sort of flip side of freedom was a strong theme. So I don't think anybody would doubt that there've been so many positive changes in the pensions industry that have helped people a lot. But there is this sense now that people don't know which way to go and they don't know what option is best for them. So it's mainly focused around kind of drawbacks of drawdown and when you reach that sort of mid-50s point and you're faced with lots of choices, how to access your pension, which is going to be the best for tax, which is going to be the best to maintain your retirement income through retirement, which is going to be the best for your family. It's so much to think about and it kind of blows people's minds, I think. So, that came out as a very strong theme. Fears around stock market falls was another strong theme in the non retired and retired. Um, so, it's not just those who are trying to live off the income, but also people building up their pots. And I think that's probably just symptomatic of the volatility that we've seen and the sort of general economic unease globally that we have at the moment. And that knowledge that people have now that their pension is an investment, because I think that is one hill that we have crossed in the main people do understand that a pension is an investment one consequence of that realization is feeling exposed and vulnerable to stock market falls
1: that's really interesting isn't it because however many years ago people didn't engage with the fact that this was an investment so they didn't appreciate the risk at all and now we're in a position where they've sort of got to step one and have lots of fear and it's then getting to sort of step two three four which is more what do I do about it and how do I manage my pot effectively
2: And you find some people are really up for that challenge because they're interested and they've got a bit of time. And I think during the pandemic, we saw what, I mean, one of the findings was that the percentage of people who are doing their own research to make pensions decisions rose dramatically from 30-something percent to 60-something percent. And that seemed to be a consequence of people just having more time during lockdowns to actually engage. So I think if you want to and you can and you feel confident, It's brilliant to be able to take more of an interest and have more control, but not everybody is in that boat. Then we come to the nostalgia and the kind of yearning for a simpler defined benefit, final salary, guaranteed income for life feeling that we got from some of the responses as well, which is, gosh, you know, can't we just go back to the old days? Understandable, perhaps, but obviously we can't. So we have to find a way to navigate this that's going to suit everybody.
1: And have you seen, so the comments around both our previous conversation and some of the insights you just gave us, people feeling that they want to take more control or people feeling that they're doing more research or they've got a sustainable focus and they want to see that reflected in their pensions. In your experience, has that translated into action? So if we think about a typical DC scheme, I can't remember the exact stat, but it's sort of 80 to 90% of most DC schemes are members are in the lifestyle strategy. So they're not taking active decisions. Have you seen or do you expect to see that number drop as people could become more engaged?
2: I think I would expect to see that. But over the years, as I said, it's kind of not something that people think about very often. There are these key trigger points and they go, okay, I might switch. It also depends on how easy it is to move between funds providers. And I think it is becoming easier, but not overnight. So I suppose... If we were to have a statement season, as the government is suggesting, that might be easier to track these changes because you'd be able to see all in one go people making a decision based on receiving their statement to move funds. I suppose as providers move towards app-based services, we might see people becoming a bit more actively engaged because it's more available to them. It's on their phone. It's where they are. They're on their smartphone. Their pension is on their smartphone. They're more likely to do it than if it's on a piece of paper in a drawer. So all these ways of improving access, I think, will filter through into people making more decisions. I mean, Interactive Investor is a DIY platform. So we do see people who are engaged anyway. They have self-invested personal pensions, and that's not really a decision that you take unless you are pretty active and engaged and confident, our insight will reflect that. But it is interesting to see a kind of younger demographic coming through onto the platform. Um, There has been an increase in assets under administration, in ethical and sustainable funds within the SIP and within ISAs on the platform. It's not like a massive spike overnight, but it is notable. And over the last couple of years, that's been going up. So we can see I suppose, structural changes and whether or not they continue or were just a kind of pandemic effect of people having more time and money to put into a separate pot or to invest for themselves. It's kind of just almost to just experiment and just to have a go. Clearly, it would be great if that did continue. But yeah, I think a lot depends on the services provided by the pension provider and whether or not people are able to access their pension when they want and switch around easily of course it has to be done with their best interests in mind as well and I think there is a risk that people might get overexcited and then forget they need to do the right thing for their own finances too it's always going to be a balance I think between yes you can access your pension but also do you want to actually be looking at it constantly and chopping and changing it constantly and that the answer is probably no
0: it's so interesting, isn't it? Because obviously you speak to financial advisors and a lot of them will tell you that their work is kind of trying to balance against people's natural instincts, which is let's check the pension more often. Let's read the headlines, what's going on in the markets. And most financial advisors will say, no, no, don't do that. Don't look at the headlines, just kind of make long-term decisions and kind of stick with them. So it's it's hard. And the other thing I was thinking when you were saying the stuff about people doing their own research, my initial reaction to that is that, like, isn't that great? It's great that people are doing that. But then people have often said to me, come on down, don't be so naive. You work in the industry. For you, it makes sense. But there's no way that most people out there are going to be able to sensibly take control of this stuff. And of course, a lot of, there's a lot of sales material masquerading as educational material out there basically, isn't there? And not enough focus on fees. And it is hard. I tend to always take an optimistic view of of where we could get to on that. But where do you sort of land? I I suppose it might be obvious, but on that question of, is it realistic that people are going to be able to self-serve on some of this stuff in the future?
2: You're right to point out it does depend on the source of the information, and people don't have good visibility on whether or not a source of information is good or not. We've seen obviously the rise of financial influences on social media, but it's not the only source of potentially dodgy advice. And actually, some of the guidance that you can get from social media influences is actually quite good. So sometimes it's bad, sometimes it's not. We can't just demonize all of these people who are trying to reach people on social media. And you can see sort of advertorials that, as you say, are sort of sales material that look like dependable, trustworthy sources of balanced information, and and they're not. And you can easily miss the fact that it's an advertorial sometimes. So that is a really important point. And I think overall, Dan, I agree with you. And I don't know if that's just a natural inclination towards optimism, but I think the more people know for themselves, the better in general. If the information that they're reading and researching is genuinely reliable and the only way you can know that for yourself is by reading more and more and reading more widely and going, OK, well, I'm not sure that was actually the best source of information there, but I found this good one that I do really like and that I do trust the issue of trusting information is not just exclusive to investments is it at the moment it's kind of everything and one thing that you did say was around news and financial advisors suggesting that people don't react to news every single time they read an up or down market story and I think that is really important particularly for people new to investing or new to researching investing for themselves is the frequency of news and the ups and downs and the positives and negatives, you can only really appreciate how up and down that is and how frequent the news can change your mood about something if you've been looking at it for a period of time and then you realise that this is just the way this information is presented. It's always, you've got to get people interested in the story. It's got to be emotive and it's got to have some sort of, oh no, we're very afraid or all things are going really well. So a pinch of salt with the news stories and how that's actually going to affect you long term if you can't stop yourself reading them. And if you read the paper, as well as informing you, it can also make you anxious about your investments, your pension. It's sort of being aware of that. It's something that I talk about in the Mind & Money podcast, knowing how you react to news, having a bit of self-awareness so that you don't instantly reach for the sell button On your pension, or you don't instantly switch because you read something that made you absolutely convinced that markets are going to tank for the next 10 years. And I think overall, you have to kind of be interested and reading to know that about yourself.
1: Just thinking about sources of information, we've obviously touched on the fact that there's a huge amount in social media and newspapers, that sort of thing, at the moment. Do you think that individuals going to those sort of sources for investment information is because the investment industry more formally is lacking in providing good communications, good information, good updates? Or do you think actually it's just a natural feature of society and we need to just embrace that? But then your comments that you've just made about having multiple sources and knowing yourself sort of are the strongest defense mechanisms essentially to tackling bad information.
2: I think it would be absolutely great if we could all afford good financial advice at every step of our lives. Whenever we've got some money, we want to know what to do with it. But in reality, that's not the case for lots of people. And Making decisions younger with smaller pots of money without the help of advisors that will ultimately determine their long-term wealth. So we know there's an advice gap. And so the quality of information that comes through before people are able to afford advice is really important. There are obviously great independent sources like Money Helper, I think, is actually really good. And you can usually find answers to quite niche questions based on your circumstances there, but not always, because your circumstances become more complicated as you get older. And that's obviously when the need for advice becomes more potentially pressing for you. Pension-wise, I think, is useful. I think it's sometimes derided for not being useful enough. But I think it's a good first port of call for people that should be used more And there are innovations like investment pathways now for people in Drawdown that sort of recognize this issue of people needing to remain invested, but not knowing what to do. It being really important not to just stick everything in cash and watch it be eroded by inflation. But still, this issue of even when people get to that point doesn't mean you've got enough to pay for advice, and you might still need a bit of help because you can't. So I think there's still quite a lot to do in that area. And how to reach people at the right time is a big issue. And social media does fill a gap. It's not just for young people. Actually, older people use Facebook, older people use WhatsApp. So perhaps more intelligent use of social media, comms strategies in the investment industry for those groups. I think it's very hard for the investment industry, though, because it is highly regulated. And so that does make it hard to reach people. And there's so much great information there, but it's very often behind those pop-up windows. Are you an advisor? Yes or no? No. And unfortunately, because a lot of people aren't, they miss out on lots of good information that would serve them very well if only they knew where to look.
0: It's a shame that is isn't it? I mean, we've spoken to people before, a bit challenging on that, and said, look, the regulatory angle is also one that too many people hide behind, and compliance departments sort of err on the very sort of cautious side. But it's interesting, you were mentioning Money Helper and Pensions Wise, and I've tried to be optimistic about those sort of areas. They're just up against an almost impossible task, against the glossy marketing machines of the big asset managers, right? You just have so much money throw at that that their stuff i think is always just going to look and feel and not be in front of people just because of that thing so becky would you say that the industry is sort of under pressure to do a bit better here or is it more a case of i want it all
2: (laughs) i think that from the great british retirement survey we can clearly see that people feel often anxious about making the right decisions for themselves and sometimes feel Quite alone, and that they have to do all their own research and they have to do everything for themselves and it would be quite nice if we could meet in the middle a little bit more and there are lots of helpful sources of information over here in the asset management industry and in the investment industry, pension providers, and this need for it here where besides advisors could that happen where besides social media I think employers i it 's been said before it 's not a new idea that employers could do more here, and I think that that's happening. So there's lots more sort of financial capability workshops and resources being provided by mainly larger employers to their staff, which is great. That's one thing we can build on, I think. Obviously, that doesn't help self-employed people who don't have access to employer financial education. We also need to work quite hard on what we do for self-employed people in this area,
1: if the push is towards employers doing more. So Becky, just I guess building on that sort of provision of information. And if an employer is doing more to help individuals, clearly there are individuals that are at very different stages in their financial understanding journey and in their life journey and in their sort of actual financial, how much money do I have type journey. You must come across a huge range of individuals with the work that you do. How do you sort of tailor the way that you speak to different individuals based on their particular circumstances?
2: It's really hard. And I think the way we have alighted on doing it is to provide high level information and then access to greater depth of information according to need or want. So you're not going to find some sort of niche drawdown strategies documents on the home page of II, but you can provide a way that people can find that easily if they need it. So you're not putting off your kind of wide top bit of the funnel audience but you're still giving the right information to people who need more niche information. So I think that's one thing to do. It's a lot to do with sort of hierarchy of presentation on the website, which I think is important. And we can all do better at that as well. I don't think anybody has it exactly perfect yet, but that's the idea. And then also it's that balance between having everything on your website and making sure people can find it. So obviously there's Google is... Massively important in this and actually is quite intelligent. So, generally speaking, the best, most useful sources of information will rank quite highly on Google, but not always. Sometimes, really good sources of information don't appear on the first page. And then, clever, targeted social media sharing. So, people use different forms of social media for different purposes at different times of day, at different points in their life. And it's kind of understanding that and understanding where people are. And where people are isn't usually your website all of the time.
0: That's right, I mean, that's the point. I'm pretty sure Instagram knows that I turned 40 this year. (laughs) That's (laughs) an ideal way of like having placed adverts there. But wait a second, sorry, I'm still recovering from the fact that my very well-placed joke about four (laughs) minutes ago just like absolutely bombed. I'm devastated. Sorry, Dan. I suppose I'm going to have to go and explain it now. <laughs> Basically, for the benefit of listeners, Becky wrote an amazing blog summarizing the results of this retirement survey and the names of queen songs. I was trying to sort of <laughs> allude to that with the under pressure, I want it all kind of thing. And you did a great job actually with that blog, Becky, because once you start looking at the queen songs, there's quite a lot of relevance. It's like I want to break free. It's a kind of magic. Another one buys the dust. <laughs> <laughs> There's quite a lot to go out there, so I want it all. It's obviously. like they
2: titled the songs for people's pensions, thoughts, and fears, isn't it? It's amazing. It's been hiding in
0: plain sight for all these years. <laughs> the solution to our pensions comes. I'm sorry
2: that I let your "I want it all" don't go. I'm sorry. I could
0: you did get it. You just you were just on. The, I did get it. Okay.
2: Yeah, you can't assume that people know what you're talking about, can you? And also, when I was making that reference, I thought, does that make people seem greedy? But actually, the I want it all reference in that blog was mainly to do with the lifetime allowance and people wanting to not have a lifetime allowance at all, really, but actually not wanting it to be frozen and not wanting it to be quite as low as it seems to them at its current level, given that they have been investing over the years, assuming higher lifetime allowances and assuming they wouldn't be hit with a tax charge, but now finding that they're likely to be, if not already. So it was a bit tongue in cheek, really. I (laughs) wouldn't want to suggest that anybody is being greedy and wanting to keep that, but I think this issue of investment growth being Penalised by the Lifetime Allowance was actually quite a major theme
1: for our respondents too. And just very briefly, were you already a diehard Queen fan and that's why you (laughs) noticed all of the titles or did it come through when you looked for some titles?
2: My dad used to listen to a lot of Queen when I was younger. I'm pretty familiar. I haven't been playing it regularly lately. To my own children, I think they probably need it now. They're probably ready for a bit of Queen. They do know Bohemian Rhapsody. Somehow they've heard that one before but You don't tend to hear it on the radio so much now, do you?
1: Not so much. I feel like there's a pressure to not play quite such long songs. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, fantastic if that's the one your kids already know. That's a very good start, isn't it? (laughs) Becky, just as we're starting towards the end of this episode, I'm really keen to understand what was the thing that hit you the most from the survey that you did that was released last week? Either the most surprising or the biggest theme? or
2: Oh, I think just this fear and anxiety around pensions which is absolutely not how we want people to feel. It would be really nice if people could feel that their pension wasn't something they had to worry about or assiduously check or swap and change and it would be really nice if that one part of our lives where we're not stressed and anxious could still be retirement and working towards retirement and it feels like that's the way it should be. So I understood this sort of yearning for simpler times but also we're not there so how can we create that sense of sort of ease and knowledge that you're probably Mm -hmm. going to be all right for people but also without it becoming complacent and people recognizing that they still have to pay attention and they still may benefit from better choices and we did an investment report together earlier this year Dan it was titled is 12% the new 8% and
0: that's not a queen sum, I don't think, was it? That's not a queen <laughs> yeah.
2: reference. it's no, so Sadly. To sure. Great if it was. <laughs> it is now the time to really look at that. If it would make people feel a little bit more secure, knowing that they're putting more aside, it might be one thing that would help, because we know that 8% might not be enough for a lot of people. There are things I think we can look at doing to help people feel a little bit more secure, and less nervous about stock market falls and less nervous about having to make choices on how to keep their pots going until they die. And I think that's where we need to sort of focus attentions now, just sort of easing some of that
0: anxiety for people. I think that's a really good point because a lot of the conversations I end up having with friends and, and people around it, there's almost a sense of a bit of a shame of people are like, oh, I kind of know I'm not doing as much as I should. I know I'm probably. And that's a really problematic emotion because it's sort of probably means people push it out of mind as much as they can do and only really face up to it when they kind of realize there's something really wrong and so it, it is just getting that balance right isn't it because you do want to get people's attention and often the way to get people's attention is to scare them basically but then at the same time you create those really problematic behaviors if you press that button too much
2: I think the danger would be that people just go well I'm just going to have to work forever anyway so what's the point point?" and I think that we saw with the figures on the number of people in their 20s who thought the state pension wouldn't exist for them is some of that, well, it's all screwed anyway, and I can't buy a house and I can't have a decent retirement. So I may as well just have a nice time. We're like, no, no, you really can. It's going to be okay. Just don't give up. Keep the faith. John Bon Jovi.
0: <laughs> 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 That's for next year's.
2: A little bit of that, you know, and I think that that positive reassurance is underrated too you're doing okay if you're doing something and exactly. regardless of what the government does something is always better than nothing
0: it's a really good point becky really interested to hear what are you most kind of focused on over the next 12 months in terms of i don't know announcements or developments or those sort of things it's a huge area we've covered a lot of ground as a pensions investments anything you'd pick out and some of the things you're focused on or worried about
2: well it's the budget next week so i'm actually off for half term but working on wednesday i love the fact that they put the budget in a half term oh, so <laughs> we're talking about that also we did some research last year called show me my money which is on transparency and awareness of fees awareness of risk and awareness of where pensions are invested so i'll be revisiting that to check in see if there have been any positive changes or hopefully not negative ones in uh, people's awareness levels of all of those things and then I'm quite interested in changes to government policy in general around pensions I'm quite interested to look at what happens with the health and social care levy and whether or not that reduces people's ability to invest and save and all these sort of headwinds and I think the difficulty at the moment is there's an energy crisis there's inflation there's so much affecting the here and now for people and we've had a weird time during the pandemic where people have bizarrely been able to invest a lot more in some cases and put more into their pensions. Obviously, not all. Some people have been adversely affected. But you kind of wonder if the mood is going to change and the focus on just getting by is going to kind of dominate for the next few months. And then if interest rates do start to rise, that will have a very profound series of effects I'm sure that we can't necessarily foresee because we haven't had one for a long time have we so I think just looking at all of those macro changes and what they mean for individuals and their pensions is going to be the main focus.
1: So Becky I've probably ruined this for you a little bit because I asked you a very similar question not very long ago but what's the one thing you'd like listeners to take away from this particular episode?
2: I think I think it is that positive reassurance can go a long way and keep the stories coming keep the stories on pensions as investments and what they're invested in coming pensions are not just a story for older people who are approaching retirement and in retirement but they are a younger person's issue too and that's probably the main thing don't be afraid to tell positive stories about pensions
0: that's really nice. I really like that. Becky, what do you think is the most underappreciated thing about pensions and investing?
2: I'm sure most people say this, but the effect of compounding on returns over the years, is just, it truly is magic. You can explain it to fairly young children and they think it's amazing. It is amazing. And if people understood it better earlier in life, I think there would be a different conversation around prioritizing property over pensions in your early 20s and we could have different conversations if people understood the impact of compounding a little bit better.
1: Absolutely agree and it is that sort of engagement of the younger population in things that feel a very long way away and it's kind of like that's the point it's a long way away so you can really make a difference. Visualising it as well there's so many
2: things that we can visualise better for people and for younger audiences whether on social media or not but the compounding graphs are really eye-popping aren't they when you look at something that
1: illustrates that properly not just explaining it absolutely thank you Becky before we go do you have any recommendations books podcasts tv shows films
2: so I've actually just
1: finished it's
2: probably quite serious but morality by Jonathan Sachs because I'm very interested in modern ethics talk about ethical investing a lot but what is ethics and who decides what's good and what's bad and so I wanted to go a bit deeper on that. So I've been listening to Morality by Jonathan Sachs on Audible, and I do recommend it. He's got a lovely, soothing voice to listen to while you're cooking Sunday lunch.
0: Nice. And of course, you also have your own podcast. So we can be a quick plug for that. And we'll put that in the show notes as well, where you're talking to effectively interactive investor customers, aren't you? And trying to have conversations there.
2: We've got a few podcasts, actually. We've got the Mind and Money podcast, which is about behavioural finance. We have Slow Money, which is on ESG. And we have one hosted by Gabby Logan now, which is called The Family Money Show, where we interview celebrity guests on their financial history, not necessarily going into loads of detail, but their attitudes to money and things, which is very interesting. And again, trying to reach a wider audience with messages around investing that aren't necessarily just about risk and return.
0: And are you finding that's going down well? That's helping you reach and engage people with these topics?
2: Yeah, it's going down really well. I'm not sure what the listening figures are now, but we're on podcast three for Gabby and Mind and & Money is on its ninth episode now. And they're doing really well. We're pleased. And I think it's sometimes hard to do things in a slightly different way, but it's worth it because it does bring in a different audience. So we've also got a new blogger called Dinah, who is a very young is it Gen Z? Is that the right Gen? Gen Z investor, who's writing about investing from a very young person's perspective, (laughs) (laughs) which is brilliant. So hoping to sort of usefully inform and encourage a younger audience who, if they're not looking at it on Interactive Investor, will certainly be looking at it on TikTok.
0: Fantastic. Cool. I love the idea of a podcast having a role there. So what a lovely note to finish on. Becky, it's been a great conversation today. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you very much. Thanks, Becky. What a great episode. That's it from us this week on Investment Uncut. Please join us again next week for another episode. Take care. Our podcast is for information and marketing purposes only and does not constitute any form of investment or financial advice. For more information, please refer to our marketing privacy policy on the LCP website.